0: Does managing your religious trauma leave you feeling overwhelmed, exhausted, and alone? When we talked with Emily, another survivor, she said, I always feel like I'm not good enough. I judge myself very harshly and feel it in my chest like an ache. I feel tired, a general kind of depression, sadness, and disappointment. I wish I had more tools. As fellow religious trauma survivors, we've been there and we get it. In fact, that's why we created Beyond the Wound. Beyond the Wound is a virtual summit that helps survivors of religious trauma find the resources, freedom, and connection they seek. Our virtual summit has over 20 trusted thought leaders and licensed experts in the field of trauma and religious trauma. Come and learn how trauma affects your nervous system, gain practical tools for mind-heart body healing, and learn how to trust yourself. Join us at your own pace between January 15th and February 5th. 2023 at our first annual Beyond the Wound virtual summit. Find support and tools to help you move with confidence beyond your wounds of religious trauma and into a life of freedom and safety. Go to beyondthewound.com to register and use code PODCAST20 for 20% off your ticket. We hope to see you there because no one should have to walk the path of healing alone.
1: This is Unlearned, a self-rising production. I'm Jamie. And I'm C.A. And we are your hosts. This is a podcast all about deconstructing who we are and exploring who we are becoming.
2: (laughs) I'm starting this episode off with laughter because I there is a phrase that Jamie uses every single time before we start recording. And I swear, if you could go back two minutes ago to right before we started recording, every time Jamie goes, why don't we just start recording and we'll figure it out. (laughs) I kid you not. And that's how we run this podcast, people. We just figure it out, baby. We have a thought and we just go with it.
1: (laughs) Do I really say that every time? I, I, you know what? I mean, I maybe not
2: every single time, but like enough that when my brain just heard it now, it's like, that's so familiar. It's like a that, comforting phrase
1: at this point. <laughs> Why don't we just that start is, recording? That is our vibe. Okay. No, by the way, we have a lot of lead up to some of these like theor- theories do. that we covered. So, But yeah, nine times out of 10 when we have to knock this out. We realize how our brain works and we go, we have to press record or we're literally never going to get out of here. So uh, that's where we're at today. Um, Um, Yes. Okay. So we are on the Religious Trauma Series and we are coming to the end. We only have a few episodes left. And first of all, we just want to say whoever has taken this journey, obviously we know some of this content isn't always relevant to everybody, but whoever has taken this journey and has gotten this far with us... Just wanna take a moment and appreciate um this is a lot of heavy stuff. And uh we do want you to look forward to this series ending on some real movement forward, some real strategies, some really amazing perceptions. I think we hinted offline on this, which was um not offline, off of air. We did this on our socials, but we do have a surprise guest coming up next episode, and for people so in the religious trauma world, yes, for people in the religious trauma world, you actually, well, very well, um, might recognize her. I give a, I give you a tiny hint. So. We are wanting to end this series with a little bit more momentum forward. So today, what we're doing is we're going to focus on some of the skills and strategies that CA and I went through on our own deconstruction journey. And that being said, I do want to give the caveat that that doesn't mean that this is the only way to deconstruction. When we are going through this, that means that your journey and the the steps you take are as valid as what we have taken. So just remember that this is just meant to be a conversation about some strategies that you could consider uh, and maybe some of the hangups that might happen when you're practicing some of the skills or strategies. And then that follow episode, the follow-up episode is going to be more of like the vision forward and kind of talking about what spirituality looks like now. So, that's what you have to look forward to. And with that, we're going to kind of just jump right in. So when it comes to what skill and strategy, and I laugh when I say this, <laughs> mm-hmm. I use, well, first of all, I would say, I really think the beginning of my deconstruction Probably was, it was always probably happening, but I don't think I realized how much it was happening up until, you know, the fever pitch. (laughs) But we are going to talk about that in episode six that the parts of you that may be yearning to understand yourself more or deconstruct or get a better sense of where you are, most likely there will be moments in your processing that you'll realize you had. Those moments of consideration, perception shift, maybe there were moments that you immediately shamed or or labeled as something different, right? I would say I can find those. Really, I can. I can find those over the years. And I look back and I'm like, wow, I mean, I spent almost three decades in That belief system, so I can see some of those, and I hope CA will talk about some of that too, because, you know, even some of that stuff might show up in our childhood, and we might look at that as where do we start? What would that look like? And I think for some of us, it's it's those confusion points where we're children and we're asking a question, and yes, we're kids, so we're not going to have these like greater critical thinking abilities to understand the metaphysical world of the spirituality. But at the same time, we as kids kind of know when something doesn't add up, right? Like when something just doesn't make a lot of sense, right? And so there are times where I think in my journey, I could track back and say, yep, I had those moments. There were some levels of like real confusion about God and love and how he's this God of wrath that punishes people, but he also simultaneously blends with this God of mercy and this God of like love and fortitude and strength and stuff. So my brain from the get-go was still trying to understand how those two things could coexist. I just didn't have the language. I didn't have the language. I honestly didn't have the critical thinking skills to do that work yet. And so it, actually did take a lot of time to get me to the point of like really holding those truths in my hand. So for example, if we track it to closer to the real deconstruction, I would say one of the things that really helped me was to widen my lens to really get out of the vacuum And the vacuum was the community that I was immersing myself in. And I really wasn't allowing myself to have friends that had, I I truly didn't. I got uncomfortable having friends that weren't the same faith as me or didn't immediately agree with me. Or I was even kind of thinking I was doing the right thing, like righteous to not have friends that were of the enemy or the ones that were doing the bad things because those are just bad influences and I don't need that opinion in my life. So once I got out of that like space, which honestly happened more in my experience, that happened more in like grad school because I wasn't working Um, I didn't have well, I was working, but I wasn't like full time, long story, basically, I wasn't in like a career setting, basically. So I was immersed to a couple of different opinions. But I was on my high and mighty horse thinking, you know, oh, these people are so worldly, and they don't know anything. And you know, whatever. And then it wasn't until grad school, where really what I was immersed in was like, the both and, Like I was experiencing people that could hold really nuanced things. Like they're telling me they can sit with people that are, you know, totally antithesis to anything that I would think is like righteous or whatever. And they're telling me that that person is like, Yes, you have to develop compassion, you have to develop understanding, you have to develop a different understanding of like what it means to be kind and gracious and giving to those people, which means I had to humanize them, right? I had to humanize people that I didn't humanize before and I kind of said, "Oh, I'm above them and they're kind of worldly and they don't really get my compassion and even if I give them compassion, it's kind of pity compassion, it's not real. It's just like whatever." And I think in grad school, I had some mentors that really did foster this both in mentality of like, you know that like God could be bigger than what you think he is right now. Like one of those moments was a mentor that I had. To this day, we still stay in contact, but he's this, this phenomenal dude that he really would challenge some of my fixed thoughts. And he would ask me to consider widening the lens. And so when we're talking about skills and strategies, when people are like, well, where do I start? First of all, what I would say is just take a second and try to consider your environment. doesn't mean you have to reinvent the wheel, but if you really are wanting an environment that will allow you to explore a new idea, and remember, do not discount online community, right? Don't don't discount that. That is absolutely very valuable. Make sure you find people that are doing similar work than you and try to commute you know, find that community online too. Um, But truly, if you're immersed in a community that doesn't allow for that thought to flow or worse says you're possessed or demonic for doing that, I would start with thinking about what community you're engaging with. And remember, it's not all or nothing. It doesn't mean you have to abandon your old community. It just means maybe consider adding another layer or adding more conversation from another lens. And then in my case, I mean, I know that this is ideal, but in my case, I did kind of have that mentor that would ask kind of more of the difficult questions. So maybe if you connect with someone in that online community or someone that is maybe in your interpersonal life, that is more of like a expansive thought, like they, they're the person that's like, yeah, I'll have a conversation about anything. Like, I don't judge you. I want to just hear it, whatever. That Those are the people that you might want to be like, hey, I know that you know me as this very religious person. I just want to have a conversation about XYZ. Would you be willing to, you know? converse about that and have a dialogue just, just so I could even practice what it feels like to have an open conversation. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure we volley back and forth with this because I want to make sure CA is able to add some stuff in between like what we're, we're both going to tell a little bit of our stories, but that's where I'm going to, that's where I'm going to leave it and hand it off to CA, which is like community. And then also probably identifying of one or two few safe people that can allow for expansive thought. I, I, I kind of want to like piggyback on that and like speak a little bit to
2: what you're describing there, because when you were referring to how you were getting to a point where like you couldn't even be friends with somebody that wasn't in the same religion, like I really want to pinpoint for our listeners, like just how narrow <laughs> of a of a lens you were using at that point. And I don't mean like you, but like me and like people that like have gotten to this place of like extreme religiosity. Like when you're like looking through the eye of a needle as like, this is how narrow of like who you're allowed to safely interact with. Because even within the umbrella of Christianity, like we were in Catholicism, right? Okay. So when we say like, oh, you could only be people of the same religion. Like we were also excluding like, non-Catholic Christians. So like even another Christian who like literally believed in a Christian God and the Bible and whatever, like even they were like, "Mm, nope, they're not part of the like real, real church, which we at the time believed was the Catholic church. Then even in the umbrella of Catholicism, you had what were known as like cafeteria Catholics, right? Or like Christmas and Easter Catholics. Like even they were not up to snuff. Like we could only be interacting with people that were like observing every single, you know, holy day and, and obviously going to church every Sunday. And like, maybe they were like, even doing like extra devotional things, like in our faith, right? Like we had to be like, no, these had to be like elite Catholicism followers in order for them to feel safe to interact with. So Like, how did we go from there (laughs) to where we are now? And so I just like for anybody who's sitting there going like, oh, like must be easy for you guys to talk. Like, I think I just wanted to like highlight the reality of like how deep and like how cultish it and I don't throw that word around lightly. Like, I really do mean that word, like in, in the sense of like we're talking like extremely narrow. And then, so when we talk about expanding the lens and just like widening the lens just a little bit to, to just start including a few other voices, I think that's like an incredible, incredible place to start. That's kind of where I started as well. And what's interesting for me is that I... <laughs> For me, when I now reflect back on like how my religiosity came about and how my deconstruction came about, I think this is what's neat is because like we have two very like on the outside, our stories might look sort of similar, like visually, but actually like internally you and I have very different like experiences deep inside of us. And so like my leaning into religiosity was so much about, like, social safety. And I've used this phrase on this podcast before, and I think it's important to note that, like, I'm highly neurodivergent and me being able to, like, be accepted and included was one of the most primary leading factors for me getting into religion and, like, leaning into it as hard as I did, Because it literally created like a default social system for me to be part of that like I couldn't be kicked out of. As long as I kept adhering to this standard of rules, I belonged. And like me needing to belong was so essential for me to feel like I was safe in this world that once I was like in... High school and I discovered youth group and like this place where like I was allowed to just exist As long as I checked off a couple boxes like easy fine. I'll check off some random boxes I'll go to church on Sundays. I'll pray that prayer like as long as there's a place where like people will be nice to me um and so for me like that was like a huge huge factor into why I like got as deep into it as I did and was so scared to let go of it (laughs) because in my mind, of course, it was like, well, if I leave some of these, if I stop checking off these boxes, I'm going to get kicked out of this group. And if I'm kicked out of this group, then I'm alone. And like, what's that mean for me socially and communally, like as a human being who like humans are meant to be in community and connection with others. But all that to be said, so like religion, like the, the hold on me was never overly, um, it's weird. Cause it was, it never really had like a chokehold on my spirituality. And so this is, what's interesting is like, I have always been a very spiritually connected person. Like even as a child, before I even had religion, cause I didn't really get into religion until high school. So like, for me, I was just very like, I just always felt very connected to like others and like, like not, it's hard to explain. Cause it's like, I was neurodivergent. I was very othered, but like, I felt like a, an, an, an energetic exchange with human beings and plants and animals. And like, I knew that like, there was something bigger. That's what I mean when I say like, I was always connected to my spirituality. Like I always felt like a transcendence. Like I knew that there was more. And so I was willing to kind of like play the game of religion in order to feel socially safe, but I always had like these parts of me that like I reserved and never let die fully. And so when I would come to tears listening to a beautiful harmony, that was spirituality for me. When I would breathe in this like rush of mountain air staring at a sunset, that was spirituality for me. So like I always had that in there somewhere. So when I got to a place where I was no longer really sure of why I was staying in my religion. And and you might ask, well why why did you question it or like what was your what was your moment? And there was a lot of factors, which I don't need to go into every single one of them. But remember, the main reason I got into it in the first place with this concept of like social safety, once we get into adulthood, (laughs) friendships and socializing gets a lot more complicated than it was in high school and even college. And so I started to realize that even within my umbrella of my religion, I was still being othered by like my fellow Catholic community now that's not by every single person. To this day, I still have a handful of friends that are still Catholic and, like, the greatest of humans and, like, love the crap out of me and vice versa, like, regardless of religion. Like, there are still great individuals, but, like, as a whole and, like, when we're talking about social, like, systemic social structure, even in the church, I was definitely realizing. I was like, oh, there's – I'm still not, like – It worked for a little while. Like I I had like a place and I felt like I belonged for a little while. But once I started to realize, like, oh, once I started to like really open up and like try to like be real and raw and me and myself, it was like, oh no, all walls going up around me and like stay in your place. And we don't want to hear about that. And we don't have space for a conversation like that here. And no, you're not allowed to ask questions like that here. And then all of a sudden that safety feeling goes away. And you're like, I thought I was safe here. I thought I was accepted here. I thought I was allowed to share about that struggle. I thought I was allowed to ask that question. No, you're not. You're not allowed to ask that question. You're not allowed to show up like that. You're not allowed to tell us that that's a struggle for you.
1: Right. It means you were breaking breaking the societal rules. I was. I was breaking the rules. Right.
2: By showing up as less than – you know, the, the way that I was meant to. And so I was like, okay. So I kind of started to isolate more and more from like the social aspect of church. And then like, at this point, you know, I was pretty indoctrinated into like under, like believing that like my salvation was on the line if I didn't go to church every Sunday and this, that, and the other thing. So I still like went through a lot of the motions, but for me, I think my first expansion, when we talk about widening the lens. Because I had always had an expansive view of spirituality, and I felt that I was allowed to do that as long as I kept checking off the religion boxes. So like I never really put my spirituality in a box, um, but a lot of the other parts of me were definitely in a box, the physical, the mental, the emotional, all of that. And so the first box that I decided to expand was my intellectual curiosity, so for me, that's kind of where it really started. Um, and this is interesting because like I, uh, the I just have so fun to like look back and reminisce and be like, oh, that's neat that your brain thought that that was the route. Because um, I was like feeling uncomfortable in this religion. And so then I started just what, maybe there's a better religion out there for me. And so I just sort of started like intellectually curiously exploring other religions. And I started with the ones that were like most similar to Catholicism. What would be the easiest shift, right? So started looking into like Orthodox, Episcopalianism, Presbyterian, like some of these other like very kind of like ritualistic type versions of Christianity and all of that. And like that alone, just expanding my intellectual curiosity was enough for my brain to let go of this belief that the one and only path to heaven or salvation was to stay in this Catholic church. Like for me to even allow myself to think that there might be another path that was just as valid and maybe a better fit for me was all my brain needed to like Take attention off of my chest about feeling like this is the one and only thing that you can do for the rest of your life. Like just giving myself permission to consider that there might be another option that was just as valid. That was kind of like my cornerstone thing. So that's a. It's like it's like a similar experience to what you were describing as far as like allowing somebody to kind of like ask you some critical questions about like why do you feel that God is only in this one box that you're putting Him in and. For me, I I always knew that God wasn't in a box, but I felt that my salvation was in a box for whatever reason. I definitely felt like, oh, no, like this is this is like a sure thing. Like this is the way that we get to heaven is by checking off all of these, even though I knew that like God was everywhere and like permeated reality, I still felt like I this is this is it's so unique though. Maybe people don't know this unless you're Catholic and you grew up in like a, a really, really intense version of Catholicism like we did. We were given, do you remember this? Of course you remember this, Jamie. Um, we were given this like mentality that said because it was like, oh, we don't know the depths of God's mercy, right? And I remember because one of my big intellectual intellectual curiosities as a child, as a teenager in college, when I went to grad school for theology, I constantly asked people this question, religious leaders in our church, how do we know that Catholicism is the is like the way to heaven? Like, how do we know that there aren't other people in heaven that weren't Catholic? And I got a variety of answers over the years, but the permeating answer, like the the most common like mentality around this in our religion was we don't know for sure that there are people in heaven that weren't Catholic when they were alive, but we know that there are people in heaven that were Catholic. So it was this, why risk it? That was the way it was always presented. If you know for sure that you can get to heaven via Catholicism and we, we can think and guess and like hope that there's non-Catholics in heaven too, that like God was merciful enough at the end to let them in. Like that's possible, but it's certain that Catholics can get in. So why would you risk it? Okay. So that was like always, that's why I felt my salvation was in a box. I knew that God was big, but I was like, I don't know if I can take that risk on my own soul.
1: Yeah. But I also think like when you hear why risk it, it's that deconstruction of fear. Because like if you think about like fear. what would it mean? Right. Like what does it mean to say, okay, well, I am willing to risk it. It means yep. that you have to come face to face with the fear that that risk and benefit, it's like worth it to explore the benefit on the other side of the you see what I'm saying so it's like I think that is why when we were talking about in past episodes with Mm -hmm. fear it's it's why we even spent time in fear like why did we spend a chunk of the time in this series around fear it's because that is such a skill set to kind of sit with is like how are you interchanging with fear and when CA says her salvation is linked in a box like but God isn't it's like How, the cognitive dissonance you must have to have to like, I mean, I don't even, I, because I didn't have that experience with like CA, like CA is very true. Like I did not have the same deconstruction journey and none of us are going to have the same one. Okay. But when CA says that, like, that wasn't something that I necessarily like had in my own journey. So when she says like the box, it's like, think about the cognitive dissonance that has to grow when you're like, God is, is not there, but my salvation is. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. It was like I knew that God was like this is where I was at the time. I was like, I know God is in the Catholic Church and I believe that God is in other places too, but I'm gonna stick with the sure thing because of that mentality that I just laid out. And then eventually though, and and there's real sometimes like that's the thing is like maybe there isn't like a an exact pinpoint moment where you can say, that was it. That was the one moment when everything shifted for me. It was like, no, like it was just like a series of years and months and weeks. And like, eventually your brain just finds a little crack, a little crack in the, in the doorway to kind of peek through and ask a question. And, and your brain feels safe enough to allow the question and say, "Ah, I mean, like there might be other religions that also have a path to salvation. Like there's no harm in as long as this is what I did during my intellectual curiosity phase, I kept going to church and checking off all those boxes, right? So like I was doing my like due diligence salvation wise, but I gave my brain a crack of space to breathe and to start thinking. And through that journey of intellectual curiosity, I think from there, the expansion just continued. And that's really the way that I always try to describe deconstruction for me when other people ask me about it is this whole entire process has felt like a a giant expansion for me. And it started off intellectually, and then it kind of turned into like a real historical deep dive, which is a rabbit hole I'm not going to go down, I promise, because that would derail this entire podcast. But that was a huge eye-opener for me, looking into the history of the church and other churches and things like that and other religions and faiths and spiritualities. And it just kind of kept going from there, and I kept discovering – more and more spaces where divine truth habitated. And I was like, wow, it really is everywhere. And all of a sudden I felt so um, silly for having believed that there was such diminutive space in which God could occupy. Even when I knew that God was expansive, like, oh, God's in the sunset and and this and the other thing, like it kept expanding. And I kept finding God in places that my religion had told me were the opposite. That no, th- that's absolutely like wrong and bad and evil and straight up demonic. I allowed curiosity to maintain the process forward and to look at something because I had heard of, I'd listened to a podcast. This is when we were listening to the liturgists and this actually is an aha moment for me. And I always talk about this moment because it was utterly life-changing for me. It was such a simple, simple concept that the antidote to fear is not courage. It's curiosity. And that gave me permission to Get curious about the places I was afraid of. Because, like, I wasn't afraid to look at other Christian religions, but I was previously afraid to look at Eastern spirituality and pagan spirituality and atheism and, like, things that were, you know, considered to be super, super off limits. When I allowed curiosity to be the antidote to fear and to just say, you know what? Like, I was, I think I said this in one of the previous episodes during religious trauma series of like your thoughts, you're allowed to think thoughts. When I gave my brain permission to just like think thoughts and ask questions, the expansion continued. So, so that's really, that's, that's where I'll leave it for now. I'll volley it back to you and I'll let you kind of speak. Well,
1: I, I'm glad that you did mention the curiosity because I mean, speaking of the timeline, like, so CA like I said, I wouldn't say there's a beginning and an end because I'm absolutely still in this process with all the people that are listening that also resonate with this. Like we're consistently finding areas that we have to kind of untangle. And, and this is just the journey of healing in general. But because part of my healing involves religious drama, like I still find areas that I thought were already scavenged and like I looked through there and I thought I got all the things I needed to get and I'm like oh there's a whole pocket of stuff right um but I want you to hear like if we're talking about almost like the the actual like fever pitch moment I I came to CA before she like really of course she was asking questions these were the back of her mind but like when it came to like I came to CA at one point And I told her that I was no longer going to church. I don't know if I specifically said I wasn't Catholic anymore. I think I said I wasn't really comfortable saying that I was, but I did have a very like clear and direct conversation with her years ago. Oh my God. I can't believe how long ago that was. Uh, And what year was that? that, 2018? Oh, I don't know. 17? No, this was like five, probably 17. Maybe. I don't remember. I want to say it was 17. Um, maybe 18, I so 17, actually. So when we had that conversation, she wasn't in the same, not that we were ever really in the same place, but she wasn't in even like that fever pitch moment. I think right. that the real only reason I'm going over this is because there was a moment in our friendship that I really couldn't go to her with these conversations, not because she was unsafe or she would hurt me, but because it just wasn't in her frame of reference yet like me talking to her about hey i no longer resonate with like it's it would be a direct contrast of her belief system at that point so there was a there was a time in our friendship that we didn't have that ability to have that safe place of interchange right like where we are now right so i'm telling you that because there was this gap but i do remember this conversation and i want to say it was like year it was probably 2 years later where your journey started kind of meeting that fever pitch and you started experiencing that. And by the way, that doesn't mean that like CA was already doing this work. It's just that we were trying to come to a terms of like where we were individually. And so when CA and me finally reconnected, and I think I it, I think it was even like, yes, yeah, CA, I know you're still like really in this, but I just and then you had to like clarify to me, you were like, actually, Jamie, I haven't really caught you up this is actually where I am right now. And like, I was having to be clarified because my brain was like putting CA in this box of where she was in her religion. And it was very quickly evolving into something else. And even though I talked to CA all the time, I had a misunderstanding of where she was on her path. So then we had this conversation, she clarified this, and I actually have the visual of where I was standing in my room. Uh, it wasn't in my room; it was in my living room. And I was on the phone with you, and you said that one thing that you just shared with the audience, which is, you said, "What really's helped me, Jamie, is I just, I stopped trying to pick everything apart and make sense of everything, and I just allowed my brain to be curious." and if we're going to give you like any real skill set that I want you to be left with, it really is me just reiterating the fact that CA just said that because it was not only for my own healing journey, and I'm, I'm going to say this in an expansive way, it really wasn't just my religious stuff. This concept of being curious and not critical of my mind, not not limiting the thought, but expanding the thought, allowing that thought to be expanded without fear, guilt, or shame or judgment i dropped the blocks those are blockades for me at least if i was able to drop shame guilt judgment what did i just admit? i just <laughs> whatever that one was um if when i was able to drop some of the things that previously blocked the curiosity and ca told me that was such a healing moment for her my brain was like <gasps> oh my goodness, there's like so much to just explore that I feel like able to just, like CA said, she can think thoughts. I can just think about something and explore it without it being labeled like I'm spiraling out of control, right? And so skill-wise, that really is one of those like, it's not just even an emotional navigation skill. It's really like a thought perception like theme for your brain. Like it's a theme that you could take on, which is like, Hey, I've spent years not being allowed to be curious because it wasn't safe. And it was immediately guilted or shamed or judged or demeaned or demoralized or whatever, or labeled. Right. Right. And if I didn't label that, that was, I think that was one of the things we talked about in that conversation. Remember, Mm -hmm. we were like, we don't have to actually label. Labeling. Like when, I think we talked about like, well, what are you? Like, what would you say you are? And we had that conversation of like, we don't have to come up with an answer and that's okay right now. Like we don't even have to label what our faith system is right now. And that was safe. For the first time in our life, we were safe to be in the spiritual wilderness. And you'll hear a little bit more on that in the following episode but we were safe to be there because we didn't have to put little label markers on every single thought we had. Like, oh, that thought belongs in this religion and that thought belongs here and you don't know that enough. So you have to, you're not good enough to think about that, right? And why that was so healing and I really think it catapulted both of our journeys and obviously that looked different in both of our journeys, but it was so... It was a turning point I think and I can I, I hope it's okay to speak for both of us but I feel like it was a turning point for me I definitely think CA sees this as like right so one of the things that when when we're actually sitting down with you guys and being like we don't want to just like talk about religious trauma we want to talk about like what would it look like to actually explore the skill set around this work and deconstruction curiosity was one of the most nourishing concepts for my brain, honestly, because I didn't ever really get to practice it in the scope of my own mental healing. And so that's why I'm saying it's expanded out. It's not just my religious journey, but my mental journey. I couldn't be curious about why I would have a trigger I just had to label myself as bad or good right I just had to say nope I'm bad that's my anxiety blah blah blah." like this is where it gets into my own actual like mental healing was very much a part of my own religious healing which was like my religious trauma healing which was me creating concepts that expanded into my other thoughts like I am allowed to not have the answers. I'm allowed to not label myself good or bad. I'm allowed to just get curious about why my anxiety is there and not say it's related to X, Y, Z, right? And so when it comes to the religious trauma, being able to explore these things freely, and that's what I think it was. It was a moment of like, that expansion felt like actual freedom. Free, like freedom. Like it felt like I was freeing myself from the tethers of the shame that would be linked to the curiosity or the guilt or the judgment that would immediately jump down my throat the second I would say, "Well, what about that?" Right? And then people were like, "Don't ask them. What are you talking about? That's terrible. Don't ever say that." Like, right? Because what what that was doing was it was dampening my light. It was dampening the curiosity. It was saying, "Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that." Right? And when I gave myself the freedom to say. Yeah, I understand that the external for decades told you like trample that light inside of you. You are your own safety right now. You are the one who's saying you're allowed to keep that light burning. You're allowed to nourish that light. You're allowed to expand that light. You're allowed to share your thoughts without it being a threat to other people, right? That was a very big moment for my healing process.
2: Yeah. And I want to say what's interesting is that like it directly almost like domino effects curiosity and like expanding your mind domino effects into the next most useful tool that you can start developing for every part of your life, not just religious deconstruction, which is self-trust. And if you... Give yourself permission to think thoughts and ask questions and not have to like constantly seek external validation and external answers. That is literally how you slowly start to develop a sense of inner self-trust and like listening to your own inner wisdom and allowing your own Self to give answers to yourself. Even if that answer is, we don't know the answer right now. And you don't have to go to someone else to find it. You're allowed to just sit in the wilderness for a minute and you're allowed to just keep exploring and asking questions. And other times, that inner voice does provide an answer and gives you some wisdom and some guidance. And for the first time ever, you hear it come from inside of yourself. I can't tell you what that's like to, to lean into that instead of run away from that and, and to trust it and to say, wow, I provided guidance and wisdom to myself today and it's trustworthy and it's resonant and it's deeply valuable and I don't have to get it validated by some external source. Like I can just live by my own inner compass today. And even if it is just for one day that you feel that comfort, maybe the next day, this is a long process. Maybe the next day the discomfort shows up and says, are you sure about that? Are you sure that was right to listen to that answer? You know what? And it's a process and there's hills and valleys, baby. But like it's a a process of developing that voice and starting to trust it more and more over time. And you will continue to nourish that relationship. and you know, it's like we said, it's a journey. We're still on the journey. There are still times when I doubt my inner voice, but more and more I turn to me first and foremost, whenever I need like wisdom and guidance in a situation, I go inward first.
1: Well, okay. So this is actually a good topic because I think, uh, I like, as you were speaking, I realized I did have a narrative when I would ask questions like this early on, way before I deconstructed, deconstructed which was, <laughs> and I remember having this because I was so self-righteous. Oh my gosh. Uh, it was the thought of like, if there's not a defined truth that's coming from a defined source then everybody and there is no truth and truth is meaningless and there's no value and nothing matters if everybody has their own truth CA right Mm -hmm. and I remember sitting on that high horse and being like so of course there has to be a higher power a higher establishment a higher structure an infrastructure that tells us what's right and what's wrong and that has to be one thing or another right and so when I I remember this yeah Mm -hmm. and this is this is just a thought that would permeate our faith system anyways but when it came to my personal exchange with that dialogue i would even if i was like well yeah like i don't know i don't know if i agree with that right what my brain would do that dissonance would grow it would be like (laughs) who are you to tell the infrastructure of the church that got ordained by god and literally got handed the keys of heaven to the throne of the pope or whatever whatever, you know uh (laughs) Oh God, it gets really really intense really fast. Okay. So who am I to question that? And so what people will say, and to this day, if I got into a dialogue with some of my devout, like people in my life that are still devout, that is most likely that that would be that tipping point that we would start arriving to. When they hear me say something that just came out of CA's mouth or what I just said about the truth exploration, they would would eventually, and I'm not trying to like put words in their mouth. This is literally a construct that would get taught to us, okay? So the theoretical person that has the contrast opinion, they would say, if everyone is doing that self-exploration and they are arriving to their own internal truth, then truth means nothing and there is no reality around truth because everything is subjective to other things. So there has to be an objective truth. There has to be an objective truth because if everybody has a subjective truth, then that reality is diminished to nothing. Okay. So what I would say to that, and this is what is, I think the erroneous thought there is that because I've been years out of this, I've actually, it doesn't matter who I talk to that's doing this work. I have found common themes of morality. I have found This actual resting morality that has woven through the people that are doing this work, they do speak with similar morality. It might not be the exact same truth, but it is a very similar foundation of like the goodness and inherent um, complexity of the human experience, right? So I don't just mean like you are inherently good because I I do need to clarify that. Some people are like, oh, so does that mean everything we do is always good? I mean, I want to add the complexity because the people that I've talked to also hold space for people are in constant fluctuation. So there are going to be moments where they're not at their greatest and that is part of humanity. It doesn't mean they're sinful, It means that that's part of the human experience and we are allowing that expansiveness and that influx to be there. And we're we're providing, not to use a religious word here, but grace. We're providing that ability or flexibility for their humanity and we're not labeling them as good or bad. We're saying we understand that that's part of it. We understand that mental health fluctuates. We understand that life stressors go in and out. We know what grieving feels like. And we leave room for your humanity because some days you're going to be in more pain. And when you're reactive to me, it doesn't mean that you're just this terrible person that has to be dubbed this sinful, you know, prideful person. I can just look at you and look at your humanity and say, I see you. I can see you're grieving. I can see you're in a trauma experience and that doesn't mean you're bad. It just means that you're in a state of expansion and that's okay. So when I say, when people say, well, there, there must not be a common truth. And I'm not, remember, notice I'm not saying there's a religion that we've all found ourselves in. Okay. I don't mean a structure that everyone agrees on. I mean, like when you take out the label and people from their fundamental experience, tune in and try to tap into the humanity within themselves, there is a common theme. And I wanted to, I don't want to like, I actually, I think I am going to go down here for a second. There was a conversation that we had recently that was talking about how did we go from throwing like children into rivers and off cliffs for gods, right? Gods or actually, eventually the god of you know the Old Testament, right? How do we go from that understanding to God, to what Christians dub the understanding of God through Jesus, right? How do we go through that? And what blew my flip in mind was realizing that what the Old Testament God was was almost like this like cruel power hungry, like had to keep everybody under control, had to have an interchange between love, right? You owe me this, give me the sacrifice. I'll give you like love and justice, or I'll give you the land or the plenitude or the the riches or something, right? Like I'm giving you a blessing because you gave me an interchange, right? Versus like Jesus, like the Christian idea of Jesus is actually very linked to like, humanity like it's how we would interchange with each other as I see you yes you are poor and you are needy and I see the humanity and worth inside of you and the inherent value within you which is very beautiful and that's linked to something inside of us and so when people say okay well what if you took Jesus out of the picture would that still be there my this is just my two cents people don't have to agree with me but I can, uh, can very, very with conviction say after years of doing this, it is still there. That humanity is still there. So when someone says, when a leader says this was ordained by God, everyone has to slaughter their firstborn child. And everyone looks around and says, that doesn't seem like it's ordained by God. That doesn't resonate with the humanity inside of me that knows there's a righteous experience that's getting completely violated within me. I'm not going to do that. What is, is that the common thread, right? Like, so that's what I want you guys to hear is that like you and you guys can hear that and take it for what it is. But to me, I actually think that's the common thread of humanity. The common thread of humanity comes to conclusions that they say at the heart of my heart. And I'm actually going to reference, I just was on a podcast, so keep looking up by Mackenzie Jean. Uh, she's amazing. She's amazing. And she said this moment, and that's why I'm bringing this up to this moment, because she said something really powerful. She was in the most, I don't, I can't imagine being her, but she was pregnant with a young child. So two, like one about to be born, another child that was very young. I think she was like two or three. And she was in like the most dangerous territories to be Christian. Like picture a place in this world that you don't want to be known as a Christian, And she was there as a missionary with her husband. And she said this. She said, there was something deep within me that said, this is not right. That if God is big enough for me to feel safe, for me to feel like I can raise my children in an environment, for me to feel like I can protect them, for me to feel like this is actually in alignment with God. She said, that's what she felt. When people would say, just sacrifice it and be a missionary. And she said no. And so she left. And then eventually, you know, marriage um, fell apart. Uh, right? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. I was going to
2: – it's interesting you brought that story up because my brain was already going there when you were talking about this, like, humanity concept. I realized that um, one of the other, like, huge contributing factors to my own deconstruction, like, background – processing before the fever pitch, right? The like background stuff that was like onboarding essentially like in my brain directly has to do with my children. I'm a mom, I have four kids and and it has continued to play a really powerful role in my understanding of all of these concepts because I have to consider very carefully how I am raising my kids, what sorts of things I am teaching them and what sort of world I am contributing to, to leave for them when I'm no longer here and grandkids at that point, if they exist, you know? And so I think because like I entered into parenthood, sort of blindly, and everybody does to a certain degree, but for reasons that don't need to be talked about right now, I had no idea how to be a parent. And so I read every parenting book I could get my hands on and I entered parenthood very thoughtfully. every step of the way, I heavily considered, am I doing right by my kids? Is this the is this healthy for their bodies? Is this healthy for their minds? Is this healthy for their emotions? And I was really, that was a huge priority of mine was to make sure that I was like nourishing them emotionally and mentally and making sure that they had the tools needed to navigate this world. And simultaneously, I'm considering the world around me. And am I creating and contributing to a world that I want them to live in? And so more and more, the humanity factor, Kept coming back at me, not only my own humanity and their humanity, but as we've talked about and hinted at before, like interacting with other women in our religious community and like seeing how their humanity was being totally ignored for the sake of these like higher, greater goods and things like that. Then beyond that, we could look, even looking outside of this community and seeing the way that anybody who wasn't following, you know, towing the line of our religion was othered and excluded. And I began to develop, I think, like a low key or like background, like bubbling in the background of pot of my stove, fear of what if one of my kids grows up to be one of these others? And I knew, like, without a shadow, without a, without a hesitation, I would 1 million percent drop my religion before I would ever drop one of my kids. And so, if one of my kids grew up to be one of these super bad versions of something we're not supposed to allow in our religion, I knew the choice I would make. It was so easy for me. It was like, no, like, I don't care. I'll absolutely give up my religion and, and maintain my relationship with my child. Now, I say that, and I know that that actually might be a, a pain point for some of our listeners because they might have had parents that literally made the exact opposite choice and chose their religion over their child's over accepting and loving their child. And, you know, we, we can talk about that more in depth at another time if we need to. But for me, that was that was my answer. And I knew that very early on, even when I was still like deeply entrenched in my religion, there was like always this like background thing in my mind that went, my child's humanity is superior in my mind to these arbitrary religious rules. And so I feel like once the fever pitch eventually happened and the expansion started happening, like, as I said, that continued to contribute. And yeah, so so I, I, I wanted to speak to that. And, and I allowed myself to expand that feeling of like, love and acceptance and caring for my community, you know, lowercase c community, not just like, or uproids, whichever one you want to call it, but like literally just like the humans that I inhabit this planet with. Like, if that's how I feel about my child, then I should be extending that same love and acceptance to any other person because they're, they're a person too, you know what I mean? Just like, I would want my kids to be accepted. And so, yeah, that's that's definitely a contributing factor here is like with, with morality, we've talked about this. Religion gives you a vertical sense of morality where something way up here is in charge of deciding the rules about morality of what's right and wrong and what's good and evil and what's going to send you to heaven or hell. And we're all down here and there, there's a trickle down factor of like, You know, how the authority comes down, where it's some religions, it's literally the Bible is the thing, and that's it. And it all comes straight from the Bible. And other people, you know, and ours was a little bit more hierarchical. You know, there's the Pope and the bishops and the priests and the whatever. But, you know, doctrine, there's like the morality is up here. We're down here, like receiving it. But when you move into this sort of expansive understanding of spirituality and and humanity and morality, your morality becomes horizontal. And rather than looking upward for the answers to morality questions, you look side to side and all around and you consider, are my, th- are my um, words and actions causing harm and disconnect between me and the literal real human beings that I occupy this planet with? And if they are, then that's my compass. And that's the thread that you're referring to, that you start to realize is inside of all of us, like naturally, we, we have good days and bad days or whatever. And like, I'm not saying like, oh, we're all just like perfect and nobody ever says anything hurtful. But the thing is, yes, we still make mistakes and sometimes hurt other people with our words and our actions. But the the why that's wrong begins to feel horizontal rather than vertical. It's wrong to hurt my friend with my words because they're a human being worthy of love and respect versus, listen to how it sounds, it's wrong to speak badly to my friend because God said so. Mm. Because I'll go to hell if I do that. Right. Like... Well, that says it's wrong, yeah. but like the the where the morality comes from is much more human centered in this mm. way.
1: well, so I do want to add space there because there are definitely faith systems that add that nuance, and they do both and right? So they'll say it's wrong because they're human and it's wrong because God said so, which by the way, to me, I think is pretty balanced. And if you can find a religion that like really, really centers that both and, I think people typically find. That is the most almost like resonating if they're find, they're trying to find a spiritual community, right? Because they're like, wow, they really do like look horizontally and vertically, and it's it's really expanded, right? But what sadly, <laughs> sadly can happen, and it absolutely happened, at, I mean, it definitely happened in my experience of my faith. CA can CA can speak to this, but eventually it was bypassing the human experience. And it was, God said so, guys, God said so. And I get it. And we would hear these sermons. I get it. It's uncomfortable having to tell your child that you're not gonna go to their wedding. I get it. It's uncomfortable that you have to prioritize God over your sister, but God is the God of the universe and your sister's a mere human. Right. And so it is actually, that premise is bypass the human experience, immediately go vertical and only talk about the God experience, which is what CA was talking about when we would be immersed in these experiences and we would see vast suffering. I mean, I didn't realize how traumatic it was when I was like in my childbearing years, how much trauma was just normed. Like women would be talking about, wanting to end their lives and literally like d- suffocating under the load of what was getting asked of them from their church and the church would come back and be like shrugs god said it god said it you want to know what they would actually say even worse they would bind it bind it to the cross Jamie offer it up i don't know if anyone who's in this i know it's a very catholic thing but offer it up was so, is to this day very triggering for me like, I'm, I'm surprised I can say that without crying. But it was genuinely like, Jamie, humanity is to suffer. So if you're not suffering, you're not doing it right. So when I had to detangle that, it was like, wait, so me not constantly suffering and being inundated by my own mental health issues and being inundated by the pain and trauma that is being a woman in this church. I'm allowed to seek reprieve. I'm allowed to breathe. I'm allowed to be a human. I'm allowed to be experiencing this life without suffering. And that was, oh my gosh, like, That's what we're talking about is it got so stripped of the humanity. And this happens in some of these churches. So mind you, this may have not happened in your church, but when it gets stripped of your humanity, like your sexual identity, your own personal autonomy, if this means like whether or not you can work, whether or not you can get educated, I have people that are like, you know, they'll reach out to me. They're like, I couldn't wear certain clothes. I couldn't get exposed to this, this or this, right? It gets very rigid, very fast, all right? So when people are telling you, you're looking around and seeing a bunch of human suffering and all of a sudden there's this deep part of your soul that says how is this how is this resonating how is this resonating with the divinity within myself and people say it it doesn't it doesn't add up that's what we're talking about is when we're talking about Oh, no, if we take away the human compass, or sorry, the moral compass, that's the vertical lens of morality, which is God of the like, you know, in this case, it was the Christian God, right? You take that away. Well, then where's the morality? And I go, my morality was literally what led me to deconstruct. That was the answer. My actual inherent knowing my worth and value is what actually got me to the place that I am today. Which is so wow, ironic. It's so
2: true. It is ironic. Yeah. And I mean, that's the whole thing is like, there's so many contradictions in Christianity and some things stick more than others. But it's like, you know, like we, how many times do we hear like preached in the Bible and from the pulpit, like love your neighbor as yourself. It's the golden rule. It's it's the golden commandment. And then all of a sudden, when you actually start living that out in real life, you'll you'll lose your religion pretty quick. <laughs> Because if your religion is telling you that there's actually parameters to who you can love and how you can love them, uh, whoops, like maybe I listened to that teaching a little too hard.
1: And (laughs) I'm actually loving everyone. (laughs) I've heard people say that, that like, that was this weird paradox that occurred where then when they really untangled it, that actually was what led them out of that rigid thinking. And this is where I think we're headed for the last episode, which is, we are not speaking in a lens that is like every single spiritual attribute that's within you is getting weeded out and you don't get to explore that and you don't get to find your community. Like we said before, there are some communities that actually do this really well and they are able to integrate certain spiritual aspects of their own belief system and honor and integrate some of these concepts in a psychologically healthy way. Right? So what is so, I'm so excited to share for you guys is where we're headed in the final episode, which is going to be talking about what does it look like after? What does it look like after? Do we find community? Do we throw everything out? Which, you know, spoiler alert, we don't throw everything out, right? It is a beautiful conversation. We already recorded it, but it's a beautiful conversation about finding that attunement within inside of yourself and then expanding that out into your own community and what that looks like and what it can look like, that hope of something new that can be coming from this very heavy experience. Yeah, I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. I can't wait to listen to it again.
2: (laughs) Personally, um, it's one of the best conversations we've had in a long time. It's our first official guest on the show. So thank you for listening up to this point. And of course, we always love your feedback. Um, Make sure you're leaving us those reviews wherever you're listening to our podcast. Leave your comments. And we just love you all. And we're sending you strength for your journeys wherever you are on that journey.
1: Thank you so much, y'all, for tuning in. If anything we said resonated, please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. This absolutely helps us grow and we really do value your voice on this podcast. So if you have anything you'd like to contribute, any tips, any topics, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at unlearned at recollectedself.com. You can find us on Instagram at The Unlearned Podcast or individual Instagrams at Recollect Itself and CA's at Embracing Divergence. You can also find us over on TikTok under those handles. If you want to join our Patreon for $5 a month, you can be our Coffee Fiend Club member. And that's going to give you access to our podcast within a podcast, which is called Unhinged. This is basically where we let loose completely unedited we are literally just shooting the breeze having fun you can see our full personalities and it is a blast honestly it's pretty fun so if you want to join us you can find that at patreon.com slash unlearned and that's it the last thing i want to tell you is i want you to be brave enough to fight for the person you want to become and this
0: is how we do the work